0: You mining bitcoins over there? I'll just kind of have to do it on the fly. They sucked in every way imaginable.
1: How fing worthless they were from an IT
0: security perspective. All right, here we go. Today is Tuesday, June 17th. And this is episode seventy-two of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me as usual tonight is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Jerry. Thank you for having me back yet again. Absolutely. Thank you for being back. And as usual, the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our respective employers. So if if you have been paying attention, dear listeners, you you may have noticed that we have a new uh, new logo, and I, I put something up on the website last night that kind of described the process by which this logo came to be, and uh, and you know we wanted to take just a, a couple of seconds to honor all of those fallen employees who gave their lives so that you could have this new logo it was a pretty
1: hard fought battle I mean there was I never expected such violence over a logo those marketing people are brutal uh, you know they were passionate and, and you gotta respect that that's true at the end of the day and they died well they, they really did
0: yeah yeah they were brave
1: but from their ashes we
0: rise and now we have a cool new logo That's right. So please enjoy the logo and remember those we lost. So moving on, I I do not have an update from Bob as uh, Bob did not work on any incidents this week due to being in attendance at the World Cup. Apparently he really likes soccer. Who knew? So, but we do have quite a spate of stories and you'll notice a common theme with these stories being breaches. So let's get into it. The first story we have tonight comes from the Consumerist. The title is "Dominoes Hit by Hackers, Demanding Ransom for European Customer Data." And apparently, somehow, some way, some hackers obtained about six hundred thousand customer records from uh, the Dominoes uh, allegedly franchisees—not maybe not Domino's itself—in Belgium and France. And it didn't include any payment information, allegedly, just uh, names, addresses, emails, and apparently uh, pizza preference. So there was really only one thing that surprised me about this story, and that is that there's Domino's in France and Belgium. (laughs) Well,
1: okay, to me, on a serious note, I like the fact that more companies are publicly saying, I'm not going to give in to your ransom. And I I wonder though, and I have no way of statistically knowing this, how many are giving into the ransom and therefore perpetuating the business model. But, you know, Hey, I, I, I'd be very curious what, you know, the
0: prime minister of Belgium orders on this pizza. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's probably some, some uh, deep psychology there, but you're on a great point. And there's a, there's another story in here later about a, a similar thing with a DDoS attack. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think some companies are, are tending to come, come out of these kinds of attacks or threats of attacks Looking relatively good when they're, when they're pretty communicative about what's happening and, you know, show their, their, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, being picked on. And I think they're garnering some sympathy with the public.
1: No, I think you're absolutely correct. I think that's a great point. And, um, you know, it's one that I, I want to talk about a bit in your sort of DDoS or attack plans is how are you going to communicate this to your customers? And to, you know, your tribe, as it were, interested in your, custom, in, your, in your company. How you do this can have a huge impact in how you're perceived. Uh, and when we get to a story later uh, about Feedly, we'll, uh, we'll talk more about that.
0: Yep, definitely. So our next, uh, next story, another, another breach. Well, one, oh, go ahead. One thing, Sorry. yeah, just real quick on the downmost thing. Sure.
1: To be continued, we don't know much yet. Right, so good point. we don't know how, we don't know why, we're not just glossing over the details um you know, as information is disclosed. We will bring it to you here, probably not first, probably not second, but
0: somewhere in the teens we'll have it. <laughs> That's right. And it'll be good. Yes. We're we're all about quality. All right, so now moving on. This story comes from a local news station here in Atlanta, 11alive.com. And the story is about AT&T suffering a breach. And similar to Domino's, we don't actually know exactly how this breach came to be. But what we do know is that there are allegedly a number of employees of a subcontractor or vendor of AT&T who inappropriately accessed AT&T customer records. And AT&T is not saying how many customer records were were impacted, but apparently they are in the process of notifying those people that are impacted. The breach apparently happened between April 9th and April 21st, but wasn't detected until May 19th. So, you know, again, kind of interesting timing, and I, I hope, kind of sadistically hope that we get to find out, you know, what what exactly happened because that's an interesting timeline. You know, uh, obviously something happened that caused them to recognize that there was a breach and not while it was happening. Well, I would like to hope and think that
1: perhaps this was some sort of privileged access monitoring tool and an audit that perhaps captured this information. I don't know that to be true, but
0: it would be an interesting story. That's, that's a good point. I mean, it could, it could very well have been some kind of an audit that caught it. Uh, I don't. I don't know, but uh, apparently the the data was being accessed for purposes of unlocking phones so that those phones could be
1: ah, resold. Market. Yep. yep. so that's probably how it came back around, is they were probably investigating how all these phones were getting unlocked, because you have to pay for that service with AT&T unless you've had it on their network for like two years or something like that. There is a way you can get a free unlocked phone. Um but there's a period of time that has to transpire. So I bet that's how they started getting clues about this, that phones were coming up as unlocked. So, but it took almost a month. Yeah. And, you know, to me, you know, the takeaway lesson there is why didn't they have, you know, clearly this is a trusted employee or a third party contractor in this case who was abusing that trust and it took them almost a month to catch it. Good they caught it. We don't know how or why yet. Maybe they caught the end result behavior and not actually the uh, abuse of trust. Um, but it is one of those things that, how would you watch for that in your organization? How would you alert on that? Because it's you know likely to happen.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So um, apparently social security numbers and call records were part of The data that was disclosed, I do have to wonder. You know, were these were these phones stolen, or you know exactly how did the uh, you know how did it tie out between the phones that were being resold and the customer records that were being accessed? I I have to wonder that. You know, were they were they uh, the actual customers working through this you know illicitly through this uh, group, or were they you know the, the the victims of of theft? And, uh, I, we don't have that, that information.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: Be good to know. If yep. we get it, we'll, uh, again, we'll share it 13th. <laughs>
1: That's
0: right. All right. Moving on. We covered this next story last week. And, uh, at the time it was, it was more of a, uh, you know, speculation story. But PF Chang's has confirmed that they were indeed breached. And this story comes from Brian Krebs, who also had the story last week. Uh, Yet again, we don't actually know what happened, but this is an interesting case, I think, because P.F. Changs took a a bit of a a different tack on responding to the breach. They apparently don't exactly know how it happened. And so rather than running around with a hair on fire... They uh, apparently enacted a backup plan, which was to use the old imprint-style card readers. Which, I'm told, caused a bit
1: of a retro sensation. Uh, Teens from around the area flocked to see
0: these imprinters (laughs) and were amazed at this manual system. Well, I have to Uh, to tell you, I went to P.F. Chang's last Wednesday... And uh, the, the waiter, our waiter, who was, you know, a young, a young man, probably 20, 21, uh, came up to our table at, at the end and apologized that their card reader was down. Uh, and you know, obviously no context around that and tried to explain to us how this imprint system worked as if we had <laughs> How'd that work out. <laughs> it was it was rather funny. We let him go for a little while. Yeah, and then and then explain to you know when we were growing up, that's how it, they all were. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: that's funny. And uh, P.F. Chang's not paying us to say this. No, no, no. Them. Though we'd be happy to
0: let them in 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 spicy chicken and chicken lettuce wraps. By the way,
1: yeah, yeah, I go with that. But the uh, serious takeaway is um, they had a plan. Well, maybe we We think they had a plan. they did something right and 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 in this case, I think the key takeaway for me is kudos for them to have a secondary option. It may be crappy and it may slow down their back end systems, but at the end of the day, they could still process business. And probably only had a you know single digit or low double digit percentage impact on their efficiency in their organization, at least from a customer facing standpoint, right? You know, it probably didn't slow you down that much as a consumer or some other consumer for them to do an imprint.
0: No, not at all. And uh, you know, the other thing I'd say is um, PF Chang's kind of came right out of the gate with uh, you know again with with. Maybe not all of the information you'd want, but I'm not convinced they actually know what the heck is going on yet it It sounds like nope. it sounds like the Secret Service or somebody came to them and said, "Hey, by the way, you know there's lots well, of credit card fraud and it's pointing back to you,
1: yeah, didn't it come from you know well Krebs at least indicated that it came from one of the card processors who were seeing the common point of charge back, right? or charge being P.F. Chang's.
0: Good point. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right,
1: Uh, as I recall. And so that's an interesting, you know, that's their first indication of, look, all these cards are having fraud. They all point back to one single point. They go to P.F. Chang's and go, by the way, we think your credit card processing is being monitored or, or owned in some way. And then they got to figure it out from there. Uh, not easy, but as far as we know, this was not in you know detected internally. This was detected externally, and yep. Then they got to figure it out. But you know, for me, it's kind of like we talked about the chaos monkey last time. It's a great example. What would you do in your organization if a critical function like credit card processing went down? What's your backup plan?
0: Right. They had one. And uh, you know, as as I was mentioning, they they did, I would say, a pretty good job of coming right out and and you know being upfront with what was going on. I don't, again, I don't think they know what's happening yet. I don't think they know the method behind this, or if they're if they are aware of it, they're not seeing. But you know, I, I think they have been pretty communicative, and, and maybe more so than other breached retailers that have uh, in in the past so you know kudos on them on a number of fronts so our next story is involving a company that doesn't get any kudos and this this is a story about a big breach that happened back in 2011 uh there's there was a company called strategic forecasting and they're still in business affectionately known as Stretfor, uh, they were breached by uh, a spinoff group of Anonymous called Anti-Sec. And in fact, there's a number of people who have gone to jail and or been tried. I think Jeremy Hammond, in fact, uh, received 10 years in prison as a result of this. But, you know, that's that's kind of old news. What is new news? And kind of an interesting and ironic twist in that there was a data leak about a data breach. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> well don't forget too, HP Gary was all wrapped up in this whole thing That's, and caught a whole bunch of crap and
0: Oh yes. It was it was big drama when this initially happened. Yeah. It was big news. Absolutely. Uh, de- yeah, definitely. So um so so again the the new news here is that at the time of the breach Stratfor hired Verizon Enterprise to come in and do their forensics. And Verizon investigated and put together a a pretty thorough report. And through means that have not been described, that report has recently become public, which is usually not something you'd want to do, and you're about to learn why. (laughs) So, So I guess... Just to, just to kind of recap, in that breach, there were about six, I'm sorry, 860,000 customer records breached. And that included, you know, basically personal details of the customers, which included a lot of government officials. Because again, Stratfor is a private intelligence company who works, you know, they're, they're a government contractor. And also, uh, they had about 60,000 credit cards stolen uh in and that resulted in about $700,000 in fraudulent charges. And I remember that because at the time the uh the attackers actually took those stolen credit cards and started donating money to the Red Cross and it was a really big flap and the Red Cross was was uh was quite upset because they were getting chargebacks and it was actually costing them money. Um, they weren't. They weren't benefiting. So it was. Uh, it was kind of a mess. Uh, there were. Um, let's see. There was also about five million internal emails stolen, and that that continues to this day to be a uh, kind of a never-ending source of of new things, <laughs> new data related to uh, whether it's Edward Snowden's revelations or uh, some of the you know the. The wars in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and whatnot uh, Stratforce said that they have incurred about seven I'm sorry three point seven eight million dollars in damages as a result of this so getting into the report it's uh, sixty six pages I'm obviously not going to go through all the painful detail but I did want to highlight the key findings which are pretty grim starting off uh, Verizon says that. There was no file integrity monitoring in place on the servers that Stratfor used, which isn't all that uncommon when you get into it. But it is, you know, it is something that you should have in place. And again, this report's now three years old, so you know that that's uh, that that's not exactly new advice. The servers only required single-factor authentication to get in to log in through SSH and RDP. Keeping in mind, these systems housed credit cards, which uh, is not in comport, it does not comport with PCI. Uh, they did not limit access by IP address or location. So basically anybody from the internet could log in if you uh, if you had the password. Uh, they had no firewall in place, which is you know another another bit of awesome. There was no network segmentation.
1: Well, you know, firewalls are dead.
0: And and risky too. I mean <laughs> we, we all know that. Uh there was no logging and no log monitoring. Obviously if you're not logging, you're not monitoring those logs that you're not logging. Uh the so that's kind of the the, the list of badness. Uh the initial intrusion apparently happened via a brute force attack. By SSH uh, on their SMTP server. And then once, once they got on there, it was kind of off to the races. And they, you know, they again, they, they basically stole everything, including the kitchen sink. They stole the mail spools. Uh, they stole data off their file servers. But the interesting thing was the data wasn't taken until six weeks after the initial intrusion. Amazing. So they were. how around. many
1: how many times have you heard this over and over and over again?
0: Right, this is not a smash and grab. They were they were banging around for a long time. So plenty
1: of opportunity for a
0: well-instrumented,
1: well-run InfoSec group to have caught them.
0: Yeah. They weren't looking at all. They you know as far as I can tell, they they just in, the whole concept of infosec was completely absent. At, at this company, and you know, I don't know if that's a common thing or not, but I sure sure hope it isn't. Um, and you know, I I have to wonder. I I didn't find it in this report, but I had heard anecdotally that that Stratfor had called themselves PCI compliant or had said that they were they had passed the PCI audit. So I. I'm trying to find some more information about that. That would be really interesting to me if, if indeed that were the case, and, and how that, how that came to be. But, you know, holy cow! We, you know, we we talk a lot about some of the more complex attacks like that on Target, and and things like that. But, you know, this is this is a whole different, whole different ball game. And I think it gives us an opportunity to kind of look at how bad bad can get if you if you're not. Keeping your eye on the ball. And, and like I said, by the way, to this day, their Stratfor's emails are still being mined. I mean, they, people have not gotten through all of them yet. And connections are still being made with these emails. So, um, it, it's a, it's a, a really horrible situation for them.
1: So, yeah, it's, it's a rough one. Um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, they made so many basic common errors here. You know, not common, but just, you know, run-of-the-mill, don't do that. Yeah, just just broken. They were
0: just so broken. The only thing you can say for them is that their internet connection stayed up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Plenty of bandwidth to send the ill-gotten gains out. There, there's really not much else you can say.
1: You know, Stratfor is kind of a cool company. I mean, they're open source Intel. They, they really put out some really neat analysis of what's going on geopolitically. Um, it's kind of a shame, but, you know, the challenge here, and I think we were talking about this before the show, you can work at a company, a security company, that's known for high-end InfoSec offerings. That doesn't mean that your internal IT is any good. That's a good point. You know, it's the cobbler's shoes having no son, you know, son having no shoes kind of thing. Uh, you really do have to realize that a customer facing for-profit organization is completely different with a whole different mindset, a whole different motivation, and a whole different reward system than someone who's trying to do internal IT operations. Yep. yep. And in my mind, those two should not mix. Mind you, i, I that's fighting words for a lot of people.
0: You know, well, I mean, I think we've 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 lived through it. We've seen what it what it looks like. So yeah, it's unless you've been there, it's difficult. And I'm sure not everyone is like that, right? But right, some of them are. You know, we used to get into big debates about whether a managed
1: service organization internal to the company that was built to run firewalls and IDSs for customers should run the internal company's firewalls and IDSs. That's a no brainer to an executive. Of course they should. To an IT security architect, you gotta pause for a minute and think about that. There's a reason you have a separation of duties. There's a reason you have different folks in different roles doing different things. They're different goals or different mindsets, they're different agendas. Yep. And there's different trust. That's right. So anyway, before I get too far down that rant. It's, you know, I'm not cutting strat for any, any slack, but whenever I hear about, you know, a security company, these guys are tangential to computer security, but they are still sort of a, you know, a security company in their own respect. Having poor IT, it just, it's something that always strikes me as things I've seen before about the, they, you can't just ignore this stuff because you've got guys who who can do it. They're out trying to make money. That's right. You know? Your internal stuff is always going to come last.
0: Yeah, and I I suspect there's also uh, you know, a, a comfort level, an implicit understand or feeling that you understand the threat and that because because you are who you are and you know who you know that you're not going to get you know, it's not gonna happen to you. And you just become complacent and this this happens. I mean, this is, it's not that different than the sysadmin, you know, browsing around on uh you know, on his laptop while he's logged in as domain administrator and getting compromised. And, you know, it's, it's the same kind of, of mentality. You know, it can't happen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm better than that. So anyhow, uh, you know, obviously we have no clue what the heck happened to precipitate how Stratfor ended up as they, as they did, uh, but you know it's, you know. and that is the kind of cutting edge commentary and insight you get only here on
1: the Defensive Security Podcast that we have no clue. We
0: huh? got we got no clue. Uh, says the security cat. <laughs> yes, Caesar the security cat made a guest appearance there. <sighs> All right, so moving on, our next story comes from TechCrunch, and this is the story about Feedly. So the title is Feedly Evernote and others become latest victims of DDoS attacks. And, um, you know, last week there was a number of pretty significant attacks. So it started off with, with, uh, Evernote and Evernote was down for a couple of hours and then they came back up and essentially stayed up and, and that was that. They made a, I think a single tweet about it and, uh, you know, we're back up and running. Whereas Feedly, Feedly started getting DDoSed and started coming out publicly saying, Hey, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're being threatened. We're being extorted there. These attackers are asking for a ransom for us to, to, uh, to not be DDoSed. Just want to let you know and we'll keep you updated. And, Oh, and we refuse to pay the ransom. And yeah, and we refuse to pay the ransom. And, and so, uh, um, they were down for a while, and then I think they got it resolved working with their ISP, and then they went down again the next day. And uh, and then ultimately kind of, kind of settled out. But they did refuse to pay the ransom. And what I find really interesting in this article is there's kind of a subtle innuendo that Evernote may have paid the ransom. Oh, the plot thickens. Yeah, they basically said, you know, it's it's interesting that well, none of these more high-profile companies are paying attackers off. The DDoS attacks continue. Why is that? You know, basically, you know, why why is it that uh, you know, that that it's atta- it's continuing with some and not with others. You know, why is it that the companies like Feedly who come out, you know, with with their uh, you know, their their arms swinging and explaining to their customers, what's going on are the ones that are getting DDoSed and some of the others aren't, or you know, the, the, the DDoS well, doesn't last. That's, I, I'm not, I'm not making a value judgment. I'm just there's saying there's a third this.
1: option. There's a third option here, which is that some of these companies may have effective DDoS
0: mitigation techniques available to them. Well, that's, that's also true. And you would, you would, you know, possibly a company like Evernote may indeed have more sophisticated uh, protection, you know, I don't know, um, I, but it's interesting to me the the insinuation of of, uh, of that.
1: Yeah, you know, my takeaway here are a couple of things. One, I applaud them for not giving into the ransom. I applaud them for going public. Uh, one thing that I think is key here is, and I have no idea if they had this planned ahead of time or if they figured it out on the fly, is a takeaway for me is if you are in a position where your customers are are going to very quickly be impacted by DDoS, what is your messaging and communication plan? How are you going to let your users know? How are you going to let your customers know uh, that you're being DDoSed and what the status is, uh, which I think is an important consideration. The other thing I think was interesting is Feedly works on a model of free, um, you know, services, and then you can uh, – basically purchase a premium service. Uh, and according to their own sort of, you know, publications and and own, own Twitter feed, they're saying that as a result of this and the support of the community, their premium service subscriptions have doubled in the past couple of days, folks trying to support Feedly and, uh, show their support. So, um, Not in any way that this was planned or in any way executed by Feely, but it's it's nice to see that their can their customers are saying, you know, we support you in fighting back, and you know, it worked out for them, and that people were uh, sympathetic and understanding of the
0: problem. Well, I think that's the I think that's the upside to to being more transparent about something like this is you may come out, yeah, you may suffer some damage, but you may come out ahead, you know, and and I I do think that. You know, I was on Twitter watching what was going on as this was happening and there was a lot of support for them. There were a lot of people calling for, you know, once they come up, you should subscribe. If you, if you really like Feedly, you know, buy a, buy a premium subscription. Now, I don't know if that would apply to every industry though. You know, I, I think
1: Feedly is kind of perceived as a scrappy little cool, awesome service. If it was Gmail, no, there'd be blood in the streets. <laughs> right, there. There is a level where a company is expected to be able to handle this.
0: Well, that's that's true. Um, that that is a good point. Uh, but I think that you know, I think, I, I think the the point holds that it's it's going to end up in better in your favor to be you know, more transparent than less transparent.
1: Agreed, hundred percent, hundred percent.
0: So anyhow, we'll we'll see. Uh, you know, I don't know if, if, uh, Feedly still getting threats or not, but, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully not. And hopefully they've, they've gotten some DDoS protection. And by the way, I, I, I did see, obviously it wouldn't in, uh, Feedly's case, but I know Cloudflare offers DDoS service for a lot of nonprofits now for free. If you're, uh, if you're certain kinds of nonprofit organization, you can, you can get DDoS protection for free. So interesting thing. Our next story comes from NBC, And this is about a data breach at a set of schools. I guess it's a, a community college s- school district. The title is Inland Empire Colleges Report Possible Mass Data Breach. You know, it isn't, Otherwise, extremely notable, except that there's apparently 35,000 students whose data apparently are impacted here, including all the usual data elements, you know, names, addresses, social security numbers, blood type, not maybe not blood types. Um, but the way it happened apparently is kind of weird. You know, the this is a, allegedly contained in a database, and the database was apparently emailed to the wrong address oops yeah so That's, uh, wow yeah i you know i i i i just i found myself and actually if you if you watch the news you know watch the video segment there's there's a little bit more information that apparently when the person was trying to send this they, they intended to send it to an internal address and and i'm I'm guessing you know have different email clients will auto populate names and I'm guessing it auto populated the wrong the wrong name which was an external address but you know why on earth are you sending around thirty five you know some kind of database file with which may be a spreadsheet i don't know what kind of database file you'd be emailing around with thirty five thousand records like that? Without, I gotta encryption. think
1: it's a spreadsheet. I gotta think it's a big spreadsheet, though. It yeah. is, man. I've seen, yeah. I got it. That's my gut, but you know,
0: yep. I I would go with you on that, but um, yeah. I, so it's 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 always interesting to me. Yeah, we 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 see a lot of kind of theoretical, really complicated ways that that data loss can happen but here it's just a simple dumb mistake apparently and yep. uh you know this seems like one of those things that could be really easily prevented with with some kind of uh you know some kind of a technical control whether it's DLP or yeah you know, there's probably a hundred different ways to avoid that problem but you know it's, don't for i guess point is don't forget to look for the simple things while, while we're uh, off looking at the really complicated stuff. So, moving on. Our next story comes from SC Magazine. Yet more, yet more ownage. A class action lawsuit has been filed against a payroll company called Paytime over a massive data breach. 216,000 individuals. Uh, their social security numbers, bank account deposit numbers, routing numbers, pay, you know, salary information, you know, all the, all the fun stuff you, you could possibly imagine for really wrecking someone's life, uh, were, were stolen. When someone apparently broke into this payroll company's, uh, client support system, or they call it their client service center system, which I assume is their, you know, their call center application. You know, probably they have, I'm envisioning a, uh, although I don't know for sure, I'm envisioning a call center with, uh, you know, with people who, <clears throat> who can pull up records of those who call in. And, and it's probably that database that was, was penetrated and it's described as hackers had taken advantage of a vulnerability in its client service center system and gain unauthorized access to customer information. So, you know, yet again, another example where having, you know, having the ability to monitor and respond to inappropriate access like that would, would potentially save the day. But now we have a, you know, what, what, when you actually go and read the complaint, it's, it's really long. And, um, you know, I, I think they're going to have a hard time defending against this one. Yeah. Today's show is apparently the data breach show, but yeah. I told you it was. Yep. I told you it was, and we're going to keep it going, too. (laughs) Roll on, my friend. So our next story comes from InfoWorld, and it is the nine rules to follow after you have suffered a data breach. That's helpful. What about the nine
1: rules to stop you from suffering from a data breach?
0: Oh, we we talk about that all the time. That's boring. That's all right, all boring. right. So after you've been pwned, after, you- after you've been pwned, you want to disclose sooner rather than later. That's pretty self explanatory. You know, I think we've talked about that a couple of times. But but you have to be careful because
1: disclosure may come with legal ramifications, including fines. So I would say make sure that you know you understand what you're disclosing and make sure legal signed off on that.
0: Well, yeah, obviously you'll want to have that kind of discussion before you ever get into this point, right? How are you going to decide when you're going to go public? Who's going to sign off on it? Where are you going to post it? All, All that sort of thing needs to be, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it is not great Figuring that out after the breach happened. Hundred
1: percent agree. You should be role playing this with your legal guys
0: because nobody does better role playing than legal. Oh, they are. Po- take them to the bar. Just don't. Just don't let him buy the lamps. <laughs> I don't uh, even know what that means. So we're gonna move on. Uh, yeah. So number two, uh, tell the whole truth, and you know, basically they're saying. To say what you know and what you don't know, yeah, and that, you know that's an important thing, but you know, predicated on what we just mentioned,
1: and and you know, to be clear, again, you're disclosing early. You may not have all the facts yet, correct? You know, there are times when you may think that a piece of malware may have scarfed two hundred thousand records, but as you get deeper into the investigation, you find out it grabbed twenty thousand, right? Yeah, and, and by the know. way,
0: I, I think though. The context behind behind those two things is, you know, there, there's really I guess two points. Number one is, if you come out, you know, a month and a half after you've detected the breach, and at some point you have to start talking about the timeline, it's going to start looking dull, right? Obviously, there's going to be a delay, right? But you you want to try to minimize that delay. And the other, probably far more perilous, problem. Is as Mr. Krebs has shown time and time again, apparently there are a lot of loose lips running around in banks and in law enforcement agencies and all over creation and so you may think that whatever's happened to you is you know within your walls, but there there's really no good guarantee that that's actually the case, and somebody isn't talking to a reporter, and you know you'll be you'll be answering phone calls in the morning without having a chance to, to put your spin on the message. So that's, yep. that's the, uh, I think that's the downside to, to unnaturally delaying this. So number three is get your crypto state, sorry, get your crypto straight. And we have seen this over and over and over again. You know, basically it, it most often has to do with passwords because we've had just a continual circus of password databases being stolen and every time it does some PR or marketing or or you know, executive person comes out and tries to, to explain what was stolen and inevitably they seem to just totally screw the pooch on how they characterize the, the encryption. You know, they, they either describe it as hashing and when it's actually encrypted or it's they describe it as as, as uh, encrypted and it's actually hashed. You know, this is one of those things that you all, you again, you want to you want to have straight in your mind. And if you're going to go public, and even if it's not great, if it even if it's not a great story, it is what it is. You know, be be upfront about it. Don't be opaque. Or if you don't know at the time, say you don't know. And uh, you know, don't. Don't uh, don't become uh, fodder for for infosec people on Twitter making fun of you, or podcasts or or podcasts. That's true. Number four is communicate across channels, and uh, basically that means have a consistent message across all of your different communication mediums. And a great example was the recent thing with eBay. And so, you know, eBay was, on the one hand, having press releases and talking to the media about what had happened, but at the same time, if you go to their website, there was no indication that anything had happened. So their point is, you know, leverage all of your communication channels to to your different stakeholders with a consistent message, you know, I've seen it having, you know, a banner at the top of the page you know, something on your Twitter feed and, and whatnot, but, you know, ha- have a kind of a cohesive statement and, you know, a consistent way that you're going to get that out there. This is another way that, an- another area that it would pay to pre-plan. So, so, you know, you're not, you're not having to have a, you know, having to fight the battle. while well, you know, we, we convince the we convinced the marketing people to let us put it on our Twitter feed, but we couldn't convince the web team to put it on the webpage. You know, that that's not the fight you want to have in the heat of the battle because you've got other stuff going on. Um Number five is customers come first. Wall Street comes second. Uh Basically their, their point here is, you know, don't resist the temptation to you know, to jump on CNBC and start talking, you know, trying to put your your uh, analysts and and shareholders at ease, you should really be at first trying to alleviate the fears of your customers, because ultimately, that's you know who's gonna who, who's going to drive revenue that will make the shareholders happy. Um, now, you know, that's a that's a difficult one because at the end of the day, the investors are kind of the ultimate uh, the ultimate boss of the company, right? You know, they're they're ultimately in charge. So you do you do have to probably give them more attention than than uh it seems like you should. So well that's a tough one. Number six is to kiss Pollyanna goodbye. And that's a little bit of an opaque point, but what they're trying to say is try to avoid, or not try, but avoid using phrases like, you know, when you're describing what happened, avoid using phrases like there was no evidence that the data was misused. What their point here is that you should probably be somber and frank about what was stolen and potentially how it could be used. Now, I'll tell you, that's a really difficult thing to get past your your legal people because it can, in fact, at least in the minds of lawyers, kind of conjure up um, you know, some kind of culpability or or whatnot. So, you know, I I think your mile your mileage may vary on uh, on how how much you can do there. But uh, you know, that's that's their point. Number seven, don't spare the gory details. Kind of lay it all lay it all out there. They they point to a couple of incidents where where people had. Or I don't remember exactly which company it was, but they, they kind of went through the details of, of how a, you know, a breach happened. The system, this test system had been left unsecured and, and it was compromised. And that kind of dovetails into number eight, which is to look ahead and not behind and basically tell your customers what you're going to do to, to prevent it from happening again rather than dwelling too much on the past. And then number nine was to uh, move some furniture. And uh, I, I think that for some reason, the editor of the story said, or sorry, the, uh, you know, the editor of the magazine said, we got to have nine points, not eight, not <laughs> 10. We got to have nine because number nine is exactly the same as number eight. So there you have it. You
1: know, I would add a number 10.
0: Well, actually it'd be number nine, but go ahead.
1: Fair enough. Invoke the plan you came up with before the breach. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Which, you know, goes to the point of, don't be thinking about this after the breach. Damn it.
0: It's a great, great point. All right. The last story we have comes from a a, a blog called In- Integriography.
1: Easy for you to say.
0: Yeah, I know integrityography and and um, the title is if you're doing incident response you're doing it wrong so this that's is, not clickbait well not at all not at all oh, although it is a pretty good uh, this is a pretty good article uh, and it has a has an interesting point which I which kind of resonated with me and it may with you uh, so basically they're they're their point is that we should be managing incidents and not, you know, try not to respond. And and when we're, when we're managing incidents, we're, you know, we're not just totally in reactionary mode. We're also working to to learn from those incidents and, and trying to implement changes that reduce the severity of new incidents and reduce the frequency of them and, you know, kind of shift, kind of going through their, their list here, shift from responding to incidents to managing incidents as part of your normal operations. Now, reduce or unforeseen ins- expenses related to incident investigations, increase your visibility within the business and thus the support for your organization, strengthen security posture, reduce stress on your staff and increase their job satisfaction. And, you know, essentially what what they... The author of this article points out is that there's a lot of you know, uh, kind of real world crisis management or emergency management that happens out there. You know, whether it's the fire department or EMS or whatever, and you know they they make the point that you know when there's a house fire and the fire truck rolls up and all the uh, all the firefighters jump off the the truck, they don't run around in chaos. They they know what they know exactly what they're going to do. They've planned for it. They know they know how they're going to approach it. Obviously they have to do some assessment, but you know they they have more or less a plan that they're going to uh, that they're going to enact to tackle the fire. And so the point here is let's learn from that and you know make managing incidents and he, he also uh, he also makes the point that um which is, which is pretty, uh, pretty interesting. You know, incident management, he, he says this is inc- incident management truism. Compromise is invisible. <laughs> invisible. Compromise is inevitable. Something truly malicious has been in, is in, or will be in your environment. And if you accept that compromise is inevitable, why wait for it to happen? Why not get ahead of it and reduce its impact and increase your resilience? And, you know, essentially, Try to operationalize this so it is, you know, it is not a crisis each time it happens. You, you know, you can, you can deal with it. Now, the, the contra to that is, boy, we should be working really hard or we don't have to do that. But I do think it is a good point that, you know, we need to, we need to get our people who are responding and managing these incidents to a point where, you know, they, they have, uh, a much higher level of competence in, in executing the response.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a fan of the title because I think it's a little link bait, but I agree with all the points. You, you know, the only thing that I would say is to get good at something like this, to take the chaos and take the, the stress out of you, you've got to have a, a lot of repetition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you need to have staff. You need to have, Funding to be able to support this sort of thing. So, you know, but it, I think anybody who's been on this side of the fence would agree. It shouldn't be the stressed out, panicked, um, crisis when this stuff occurs. We know it's going to happen. It's something we've, you know, we've danced around this topic a lot and saying, have a plan beforehand, play it out. You know, it all comes, he sums it up really nicely in this, that, you know, you should be in a mode that this is normal operation. This is this is going to happen every day. You know, like an emergency room, someone's going to show up in in a in a bad bad state, and those doctors and nurses don't panic, right? And you know what? You do a much better job when you don't panic. Exactly right. Now, if I could just convince sales guys to stop panicking, I'd be in good good shape.
0: You know, you you would think that uh, you know that. Since that's their job, they you know, they would be used to it by now and not panic. Ah,
1: uh, yeah, no, I think that that they uh, derive their um,
0: self worth through overreaction. Oh, the in, the 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 whacked out incentives coming into play again.
1: If they don't show a sense of overwhelming urgency, they'll lose the trust of their customer. So they perceive. Got it.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Anyhow, that is the show for this evening. So I appreciate everyone's time again. Uh, it's always great talking with everyone. Hope you like the logo. Give us a you know, drop us a line to info at defensivesecurity.org. Tell us what you think. Give us any any feedback you have on the show. If you have any ideas for for uh, future episodes or, or stories for us, you know, send us send us a note. You can follow us on Twitter at defensivesec. You can follow Mister Callet on Twitter. At Lurg, and you can follow me on Twitter at maliciouslink. And uh, by the way, you know I, I I don't think you're gonna end up being uh, at at uh, sorry DerbyCon, but uh, I definitely will. Hopefully, if anybody else is is gonna be there, you will stop by and see me. You know, one of the reasons I I want to get this logo done was was uh, I'm gonna try to get some trash keys, printed up. You know, to uh, to spread the the. The empire that, that is uh, defensive security. <laughs> We're going to make at least four tchotchkes,
1: which should cover at least half of our listeners.
0: Uh, I, exactly. Exactly. I mean, how many how many podcast listeners can there possibly be? I mean, it can't be more than like 20, right? Well, again, are we ruling in or out family? This is the perpetual debate. Well, I'm just saying worldwide, all in, is there really more than 20 people listening to podcasts these days? <laughs> so that internet thing's a fad totally totally anyhow thanks again
1: oh for the record i'm still working under mecon i've not officially
0: said okay all right there's a chance all right anyway go ahead be awesome it's gonna be a great time anyhow uh we will talk again next week thanks a lot have a great one bye